uh, there's, a, there's an old custom practiced by followers of Christ around Easter, and that is to greet someone with, He is risen. He is risen, risen indeed. And the reply is, He is risen indeed. Well, many years ago, I was an intern at a church near Philadelphia that was about two years old, and, and he, he, it was Easter morning. And uh, we were meeting in an elementary gymnasium. And so we had to get up uh, extra early that Sunday morning uh, to, to, to get, pick up the trailer and, and uh, unload everything, the AV equipment and all that stuff. And as Pastor Dave came that morning, he, he yelled out the window to me. He said, he is risen. And I said, he's risen indeed. And I hopped in the truck, and we went to the church where all the stuff was at. And, and uh, there was a guy in the parking lot, and, he's, and he yelled out the window again, he is risen. The guy yelled out, he is risen indeed. And I was like, this is a great morning. As we were just finishing up, uh, putting the trailer to the truck, another person was walking across the, the parking lot, and again, Dave was like, he is risen. And her response was, yeah, 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 whatever. <laughs> well, apparently she uh, hadn't had her coffee yet. <laughs> now, it's not the typical response that Jesus is risen, but maybe, just maybe this morning, yeah, 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 whatever. Maybe he describes more accurately, accurately what you're feeling this morning. And just so you know, you're, we're glad you're here this morning. There's also coffee available out in the, out in the lobby. You came on the right uh, weekend because today's sermon is going to be a little bit shorter. <laughs> but maybe you're here and, and you're excited to celebrate the risen Jesus. And really, I can't think of a greater thing to celebrate in the, in the midst of just the messy world that we live in. This past week, we saw uh, the, the Notre Dame Cathedral, uh, 900 years or so, like just, just burning. Another, another cathedral, another church in Cleveland burning. Nations fight. We, we personally experience pain and hurt and grief. But against the backdrop of all of this mess, this messy world that we live in is the hope and the life that we have in the risen and living Jesus. We've been uh, in a series called Long Story Short. We have a long story short that tries to make sense of the world. For those who are followers of Jesus, our long story short is found in God's story. And so we've been looking at all the different pieces of the Bible that all fit together to become the whole story of God. And so if you're here this morning and maybe Easter is the only thing you know, you know you're, going, you're only getting a glimpse of a much grander and greater picture. Like seeing the trailer to the new Star Wars movie, people, people get all excited and fired up about that, but what if they never saw the movie? They, they miss the much larger story and how it all comes together. And while Easter is at the center of God's story, it's just a snapshot of the entire story. And so today we want to give you a bigger picture of what God is doing in our world. We've been looking at God's story in a series of six, ask, uh, six acts. 
And to grasp the power of the cross and the beauty of Easter, we need to see that it's a part of a much bigger story that starts with creation. And Act 1 would set the stage for creation. God created with design and beauty and order and purpose. He handcrafted mankind in his own image, in his likeness. And we experience the love and relationship with God that we were made for. But it didn't last. In Act 2, the curse, Adam and Eve bring sin into the mix and creation is broken. They unplugged from the creator of life and the consequence was separation from God. The relationship was broken. But then we came to Act 3, the covenant, and, and looking through all the Old Testament, it showed us that despite the ruin of mankind and creation, God had a plan. A plan to pursue and restore what was broken. And so today we come to Act 4, the cross. It's at this stage of God's story that the focus is fine-tuned on Jesus as the life and death and resurrection of Jesus is told through the, through the words of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But here's what we have to realize this morning. Jesus doesn't just appear out of nowhere. No, Act 4 doesn't introduce Jesus as a new character in God's story. He's been there from the beginning. And so we go back to creation. Jesus was there at creation. The Apostle Paul writes in Colossians chapter 1, Christ is the invisible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him God created everything in the heavenly realms and on the earth. He made the things that we can see and the things that we can't see, such as thrones and kingdoms and rulers and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. He was there at creation. Jesus is a promise of hope in the darkness of the curse. Speaking to the snake, God makes a promise, and the promise points to Jesus, a deliverer, a conqueror of sin and death and Satan. And then Jesus is the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. The, the prophet Isaiah describes the coming deliverer, the coming Savior this way. He was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so that we could be whole. He was whipped so that we could be healed. All of us like sheep have strayed away. We've left God's paths to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep is silent before the shears, he did not open his mouth. Unjustly condemned, he was led away. And then it goes on to say, he was struck down, he had done no wrong, he was buried like a criminal in a rich man's grave. He was made an offering for our sin. And he will enjoy long life, looking forward to the day of his resurrection. I mean, if we're all at all familiar with the story of Jesus, we see all these things written hundreds of years before Jesus per perfectly fulfilled in Jesus' life and death and resurrection. It's pretty amazing. 
And so we see Jesus from the very beginning. His, his arrival in Act, in Act 4 should be no surprise to us. I'm reading a, currently reading a biography of Harry S. Truman. And uh, it's taken me some time to get through it, but here's the interesting thing about that. The author of this biography takes 992 pages to tell his story. 992 pages to tell his story, but it's not until page 986, six pages from the end, that the events of his death are even mentioned. In other words, about 0.6% of the book is dedicated to his final days. If we contrast that, if we compare that to the writers of the Gospels of Matthew and Mark and Luke and John, they devote a much more significant portion of their stories to Jesus' death. In fact, John spent almost half of his book talking about Jesus' last week. And so the question is, why do they spend so much time in paying attention to Jesus' death? And the answer is because Jesus himself focused so much of his attention on his death. But then we ask, was, was Jesus just a gloomy Gus, always like fixated on, on dying? No. Why was he so fixated on this? Because it was the heart of his mission. It was the heart of his mission. And we see the pursuing heart of God when Jesus said, I came to seek and to, to save the lost. Well, I grew up in a, I grew up in a family with two older brothers, and, and we were known to be some rough and tumble kids. You might be, not be able to see it uh, uh, from this picture, but um, we did have a great fashion sense. Uh, I, I love those. Uh, I love those pockets. Um, <laughs> but we were kind of a, a crazy bunch of kids, and, and it was a miracle that our mom has anything left from that era. <laughs> we were always breaking things. In fact, uh, whether it was the the pilgrim, the porcelain pilgrim statue that I think we broke like eight times and and super glued it back together. Broken windows, broken lamps, broken bones, we broke it. <laughs> now, I didn't break as many bones as, as my brothers, but if you ever laid new carpet in your home, you didn't want me anywhere near. <laughs> in fact, my, my parents had just uh, completed a, a renovation. They, they got new carpet for the living room, and it wasn't but a few weeks later that I was playing with some Indian ink and uh, spilled half the bottle on their brand new carpet. And why they let me near a bottle of Indian ink is, is probably a pretty good question, but I dropped it, I'm almost certain, because one of my brothers pushed me. <laughs> but guess what? Uh, Indian ink was made to be permanent. It stains whatever it touches. It was awful. I felt awful. Well, there was a couple years later, and they decided to get new carpet for the kitchen. Well, that wasn't such a great idea. <laughs> I was making popcorn in, in a pod in a pan, and, and the oil caught fire, and, and I, I panicked and trying to figure out how do I put out this fire without burning out down the house, and I dropped the pan on their brand new kitchen carpet and burnt a hole, melted the fibers of the carpet 
in a perfect circle. <laughs> I felt awful. It was terrible. Well, here's the thing about both of these incidents is, is carpet is expensive. It's not easy to replace. And as, as a young kid, I couldn't possibly help my parents replace that carpet. So we did the next best thing. We scrubbed and we cleaned and we tried all these different cleaners and, and we tried our best to blot up that stain. And at the end of it all, we, we covered it up with a rug. Now, covering it didn't get rid of the damage. We had to live with the damage. I had to live with that constant reminder. Every time I saw that rug, every time I tripped over that rug, I had that reminder that, ah, that's what you did. <laughs> and it was this constant reminder. And so the only way to erase the stain, the only way to renew that charred circle of melted fibers was the day my parents ripped up the old carpet and they paid the price for new flooring and replaced what was stained and damaged. They took the brunt and the burden for what I did of something that, and something I, I couldn't possibly fix and they did what was needed to make things new again. You know, it, it kind of reminds me of the cross and the Easter a little bit. Real quick, quickly, we see this uh, when Paul writes in Romans chapter 5. If you, if you have a copy of God's Word or grab your device, you can turn to Romans chapter 5, verse 6. Romans chapter 5, verse 6, the Apostle Paul says, at the very beginning, we were utterly helpless. Helpless. Why were we helpless? Because we can't fix what's broken, damaged, stained with sin. You see, there's nothing that we could do to erase that dark spot in the same way we could never get rid of the sin in our own hearts. We can try to scrub it out. We can try to super glue it all together, cover it up. But at the end of the day, we're still broken. We're still separated from a relationship with our creator God. And there's nothing we can do. I'm so glad God didn't leave us utterly helpless. Because we read at the end, in the middle of verse 6, when we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time. God's timing is always perfect. He's the creator of time. But Jesus didn't just come with some encouraging words to, to kind of help us muddle through life. No, when we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. We were helpless because we are sinners. We stand before a holy and perfect God and the verdict is guilty. The stain is there. Jesus didn't come for good people but to forgive and pardon the guilty and we can try to cover it up and, and blame others and deny it and excuse it and, and hide it. It doesn't change a thing. Paul continues, when we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people wouldn't be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. Now look at these next two words, but God. Aren't we glad that our God is not like most people? 
We were helpless. We can't save ourselves, but God. These two words, but God, contain the answer to the solution that we need. But God is what gives help to the helpless, gives hope to the hopeless. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us. You see, God didn't just talk about love. He demonstrated, it by, he demonstrated his love by sending Jesus to die for us, to take our sin upon himself, to pay the debt that we could never repay. He did for us what we could never do for ourselves. He took care of the stain of sin. He washed it clean with his perfect sacrifice. The cross is an explosion of God's love, radical love for us. The long story short of the Bible is of a holy God who loves us, who's preoccupied, pursuing, coming after us. Listen to these words. The pursuing love of God is the greatest wonder in the spiritual universe. Think about it. Many years later, he would give man the trees of the forest and the iron in the ground. He gave them the ability to form that iron into nails, to fashion those trees into a cross. Then he stretched out his hands upon that tree and allowed us to nail him there. And in so doing, he took our sin upon himself. This is our God, and there's no one else like him. We continue to read in verse 8, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. You see, God took my place and did, did it when I had nothing to offer while I was still a sinner in rebellion, an enemy against him. In other words, his love was completely unmotivated by anything within us. We were helpless. We were sinners. But here's the beauty of that. The beauty of that is because we didn't earn God's love, his love isn't dependent on us. And it will never change. We are showered with a love that lies, is rooted in God alone. In verse 9, and since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. The wages of our sin was death and separation from God. It was a debt I couldn't pay. But on the cross, Jesus paid that debt in full by being the perfect sacrifice for my sin. He made us right. He took the debt and paid it with his own life. We're forgiven, and because of that, we're no longer condemned. We're no longer found guilty. We've been given new life. The stain of sin that separated us from him is gone. In verse 10, For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. Again, our relationship with God was broken and severed. We were separated from the creator of life, but because of Jesus, that relationship has been restored. That's the story of Easter. The story of Easter is of restored relationship with our creator God, renewed life because we've been reconnected with the God of creation, the God of life. Jesus said, because I live, you also will live. 
You see, the power of the cross is the one who's on it, the one, the only one who could pay the debt for our sin. The power of the cross is what is restored to us, a, a relationship with God. The power of the cross is that it's empty. Jesus is alive. The check didn't bounce. We have new life in him. The tomb was empty. The creator of life defeated death because he is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. Thanks be to God that he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 11, so now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. In a little bit here, we'll be witnessing and celebrating a, a, bapti a baptism this morning. And I can't think of a, a better day to do that than on Easter morning. And what a beautiful illustration of this new life that we have in Jesus. You see, Evelyn has said yes to Jesus, and so this, in a sense, is her press conference to all of us to state, I confess Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, and I commit, I've committed to follow him all the days of my life, and we want to celebrate that. And we're going to celebrate that in a, in a little bit here. You see... We celebrate the fact that God has invited us into his story. The story of Easter as it fits into the broader picture of God's story is central to our faith. It gives us hope. It gives us hope for today. It gives us hope for tomorrow. It gives us hope, a certain hope of eternity. Hope that, that things will change. Hope that even if they don't change in our lifetime here and the worst happens and death comes, it's not the end. The Bible says that death came into the world because of sin, but Jesus defeated sin and death. And that's why in Revelation, the very last book of the Bible, in one of the last chapter, it says that in heaven there will be no more death, or there will be no more mourning, there will be no more crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Death, suffering, and pain all belong to that old order that will pass away. You know... <laughs> It's an amazing thought to think that there will be no graves dug in the hillsides of heaven. Jesus made sure of that when he overcame the grave on that first Easter morning. That's the long story short of Easter. God invites you into his story. Today, some of us are, are still trying to cover the stains of guilt and shame with maybe a rug of religion. Man, if I'm just good enough or spiritual enough, God will forget that deep stain underneath. It will never be enough. Some of us are, are trying to super glue our lives back together, but we realize it's just not the same. Some of us are, are trying to excuse and explain away all that's wrong, yet we know there is something wrong, there's something broken, something missing, and try as hard as we might. We can't fix it, we can't fill it, we can't excuse it. But the great news of Easter is we can't fix it, but we don't have to, because Jesus already did. 
The long story short of the Bible is that the God of life made you to love you and desires a relationship with you. He's the same God who paid the price, who paid the debt, who paid the bill in full. He got rid of the stain so that the broken can be restored. And so my prayer for you today that, is that your response to this part of God's story and, and the life the, and the death and the cross and the resurrection of Jesus isn't just, eh, yeah, 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 whatever. But to say yes to Jesus to live in response to the gospel, the good news of what Jesus has done for us every day, to allow him to, to rearrange our lives and priorities around him and celebrate the new life that we have in our Savior. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Just as he said. Let's pray.